You are listening to Move With Radiance with Stephanie Dankelson, a podcast all about redefining your relationship to exercise, food, and your body by learning how to first redefine the relationship with yourself. Are you ready to discover your inner truth, your inner radiance? Because there is a more freeing way to be fit. everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Move with Radiance. I am so excited you all are here with me this week. And I've got an awesome episode for you all today. Uh, um, First of all, though, I want to just talk about a couple of things. First, the I kind of told you all I and if for those of you who, who follow along, you've heard this come from my mouth several times in the last month or so. But I am participating in the Hungry for Happiness coaching certification program, and it has been a freaking whirlwind, amazing experience. And I say that because first, you know, I've done a lot of, of work on myself and digging and getting curious and all this kind of stuff over the last couple of years. And you kind of, I don't know, I felt like I got to a point where I was like, yeah, all right, I get that. I've, you know, I've healed this. It's, you know, probably still going to keep up. I'm probably going to still have some work around it, but for the most part, like I get it. And it's just been a really, I don't, I don't know if humbling is the right word, but just having all of these things resurface and realize like, oh no, there's still more work that needs to be done. And just how deep we're going in this work and how it's already started shifting the way I've been living my life has been incredible. And, you know, it's been hard and there's been times where I'm like, what the, like, I don't even like, like concepts. I was like, I don't know if I know how to even grasp that. And, then like the next couple of days, it just like hits you like a load of bricks where it all makes sense. And then you just start doing the work. And it's just really cool because this is a forever process, but I've never gone to the level that we're going in this program and the challenges that it's brought up for me and the stuff that I've been able to start working through are things that I never would have done on my own. And it's just been incredible. And so for all of you on a journey, just, just know that personal development never, you never hit like an A plus, like I'm done healing. (laughs) You know, it's, it's just always going to be a work in a work in progress. And we're always going to find new ways to grow and shift and change and just keep going because this work is so life-changing and brings so much amazing shift and perspective into life that then like carries through everything. And then like knowing what you're capable of and truly at your core, believing that you can get there makes the entire world's difference in getting and living the way that you truly, truly want and truly aligning with your highest self and all the energy that comes with it. It's, it's amazing. So just keep going. Um, secondly, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but something in the podcast world that, um, really helps podcasters (laughs) is leaving a rating and a review on iTunes or whatever 
podcasting app you listen to because that lets other people know that this is the podcast you should listen to. It kind of raises the eyebrows of the folks. I mean, I don't know if this makes sense, but basically it raises flags in iTunes that this is a a good podcast and it kind of exposes it to more people. And if this is a message that you believe in, if you've gotten any value from um, being here week after week, that would mean so much to me. Um, You can just do that. I believe you can do that right in the app, but you can definitely do it from your desktop if you go to iTunes and um, you're able to leave a rating and a review right there. So that would help me out so much. And I just appreciate all of you. So thank you for supporting me and for those of you who have reached out. And I just feel really thankful. (laughs) So along with all of that, we will finally start digging into today's episode, which I'm really excited about. If you listened to last week's episode, I dove into my story of my journey with sobriety from alcohol. That started, um, it's been on my mind for a while, but it, I've been sober since November of this past year. Well, November, 2017. <laughs> and I have started sharing my story and through that I've met a lot of really amazing people who have, who have been on their own journey of sobriety. And, um, this is kind of, I've actually, um, was following Nicole DeBoom for a while and she had recently posted something on her Instagram around her journey with sobriety. And so that's when I reached out to her and it's just been really cool because my, my goal with all of this is to change the meaning or the association that we have with the word sobriety and just show that, you know, it's not, you don't have to have a rock bottom, like life changing experience to decide that alcohol or something in your life is just not serving you anymore. And so, um, if, if this conversation or last week's conversation stuck with you, I really highly encourage you to check out um, Andrea Owen and her podcast, Your Kick-Ass Life. She does a whole series called um, The Recovery Series, where she has different women on who share their story with sobriety, and it's on all ends of the spectrum. Um, and it just really helped spark my own journey with sobriety, along with someone I've mentioned a couple of times, Tiffany Hahn. Um, her podcast is Raise Your Hand, Say Yes, and she also talks about her journey as well. So just kind of cool if you wanted to explore this topic a little bit more. Um, but this conversation with Nicole was really beautiful, and it, in my opinion, was less of this kind of interview format and more of two women coming together and just getting curious and digging deep into our, you know, history with drinking and maybe where it stems from and just getting curious together and walking through the lessons we've learned and where we're at today. And it's just a really amazing conversation that I hope you all will love as much as I do. (laughs) So with that, let me tell you all a little bit more about Nicole. Born and raised in the Chicago suburbs, Nicole was a standout swimmer, qualifying for the 1988 Olympic trials and later graduating from Yale University. She decided to pursue the sport of triathlon and started racing professionally in 1999, racking up countless podium finishes. 
During the final stage of her racing career in 2004, Nicole created and introduced something that had never been done before, the first running skirt. Shortly afterwards, Nicole went on to launch Skirt Sports with the mission of helping women find inspiration, confidence, and courage through the transformative power of running and fitness. Today, Skirt Sports is a national women's apparel brand offering a full line of products that fit real women's bodies and support their busy running lives. Currently, you can find Nicole chatting with customers at the Skirt Sports Boulder flagship store, helping women change their lives through her nonprofit organization, Running Start, interviewing visionaries for her popular podcast, Run This World, and chasing around her six-year-old girl, Wilder. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Nicole. Nicole, hi. (laughs) Hello. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for having me. This is going to be an awesome chat, I can tell. Yes, I'm very excited about this topic. Um, And we were just talking how... It's crazy how the world works because we, I like have followed you for a while from living in Boulder because that's where you're located right now. And then we're like oddly connected through my current like nine to five. And so it's just really strange how the world brings us together. And how did we, how did you like, how did we come together? Did you? Yeah. yeah, I I saw one of your posts recently on your journey with sobriety, which is what we're going to dig into today. And then um, was like, wait a minute, we should she should be on my podcast. And so yeah, reached out, and then here we are. <laughs> and I have trouble saying no to things, and I'm so glad I said yes to you because you're awesome. Yeah. Yay. Well, how about we first start off by? I always like to ask my guests, you know. Tell us a little bit about you. I know like your story is such like a big, that's like a big question, but whatever you want to share with us, let's go from there. And yeah, Yeah. we'll start there. You bet. I'll lay some foundation. So, um, okay, let's do it. Um, Let's see. I grew up actually in the Midwest. I'm a Chicago suburbs girl. I grew up in Downers Grove and went to Downers Grove South. I graduated high school in 1990. So you can guess how old I am, mid forties. Um, and I was a swimmer. I was an athlete growing up. That was probably how I would identify myself. So grew up swimming. My highlights of my athletic career were at age 16. I'm not kidding. I never got faster, but at age 16, I was a phenom swimmer. I qualified for the Olympic trials I swam in the 1988 trials. I'm looking at the swim cap right now. It's the only thing I have left. It's in a frame. And I swear if you took it out, it would like turn to dust. So no one, <laughs> no one's touching it. Um, I was a hundred breaststroker and, and I got recruited then to colleges and really uh, dug hardcore into life as a kid athlete. So in high school, I was doing two-a-day practices, and I swam on Saturday morning and Sunday morning, three-hour workouts. You know, it was, it was just a focused athlete life. Um, and then I was also a really good student. They often go hand-in-hand, you know, this sort of A-type personality. Um, and I got recruited to college, as I mentioned. I ended up choosing an Ivy League. I went to Yale University, and there I... Um, experimented even more heavily with partying than swimming, (laughs) but uh, eventually did graduate. I graduated in four years and got a degree in sociology. And when I finished college, I did what a lot of college athletes do. I, 
since I wasn't going to make it to the Olympics or become a professional swimmer, I kind of floated for a while and didn't know what I wanted. So I went back home and uh, worked some odd jobs. Um, eventually, discovering the fact that, you know, waiting tables or being a manager at a pool wasn't probably what I wanted to do for my future. So I did some deep soul searching and decided that I would try to pursue athletics. It just wasn't going to be swimming. It was going to be a new sport that I had really gotten the bug to pursue the sport of triathlon. So here I am at, uh, age 23, 1995, decided that I would then use that as an opportunity to move to where the hub of triathlon was at the time, which was San Diego. That's where all the pros were training. Now it's Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. Interestingly. Um, San Diego is still a big hub. I mean, there's triathletes everywhere, but I wanted to go like where the hotbed was. So I moved out there and it was really interesting because I did show some promise in triathlon and uh, qualified for our uh, world team actually in my first season as a as a 20 to 24 year old age grouper. And in 1995, in October of 95, I got on an airplane heading to Cancun, Mexico, for this world championship race and the cutest guy on the plane sat next to me and it turned out to be a guy named Tim DeBoom. And if you recognize from the, probably my name in the title of this one, I ended up marrying that guy about a year <laughs> later. So, you know, triathlon became a huge part of my life. And the story from there, you know, I, I eventually started racing professionally. Um, and then towards the end of my pro career, I decided that there was more for me in the world than racing. So in my early 30s, I moved forward to start this incredible women's activewear company called Skirt Sports. We created the very first ever running skirt. And um, I can't believe that I am 14 years later from that chapter starting <laughs> Here I am, still uh, the CEO of Skirt Sports. Today, I'm also a mom of a six-year-old, so that happened along the way. Um, I started a nonprofit a couple years ago. We help women change their lives through running. I have a podcast, so I am kind of a wearer of many hats. Look at that, and I'm also so busy. I got to turn my phone off. I forgot to do that. <laughs> Put that on sleep mode. Um, so it's, uh, it's a busy life. And when you go through the big ups and downs that I've pursued, um, sometimes you also have things that come sort of out of the closet that you really need to tackle. And that's, I think, one of the topics that you wanted to get to today was, you know, my relationship with alcohol, but there are a lot of other skeletons in the closet that go along with it. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of, you know, me in a nutshell and it's a really hard thing to do yourself in a nutshell. Think about uh, that. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So that was beautiful though. That was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my mini monologue, my life, my life monologue. Um, so we share a couple of similarities in there. I, um, also was very big into triathlons for a while and, that was like something that motivated me for a long time. And then sort of realized like too, uh, there was something more that I needed to do. And that's kind of where all of this came from. But I want to dig into 
Well, wait, can I ask you, did you race, were you an elite age grouper or did you race pro? I rose, raced during um, school and was, I mean, there was a point in my life where I was really going to try and pursue the pro athlete card, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, (laughs) totally. I think I could have gotten there. Like it was, it was like I, my identity was triathlons and Ah, that's a big thing. Yeah. Identities. Totally. Mm -hmm. And realized like that I was using a lot of those behaviors or um, identifying so strongly in that, that I was losing who I actually was. That makes sense. It is. And it goes hand in hand because it's who you are and what you do are, they're part of, they go together. You, You know, unless you're living a really disjointed life. And who you are, what you do is not aligned with who you are. So maybe you were feeling like your obsession or, you know, whatever it is, singular focus with triathlon was not aligned with who you are or wanted to be. Absolutely. I had an obsession with wanting to be the best at everything. (laughs) And so that, I mean, I was very type A, you know, very good at school, very good at like, and I was trying to prove myself through triathlon and I was trying to prove my worth. And I was also using the exercise behaviors as a means to like control my weight, which then was a direct reflection of my worth. So there was a lot of like broken relationship pieces in there with what I was doing. Absolutely. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's been a really awesome journey to like rediscover myself and like my relationship to those sports. Right. So, and then that's kind of drinking kind of fell into play there. So my story is is similar with, you know, obviously partying in college, (laughs) right? So can we dig into, I I mean, I have lots of questions here, but I don't know how do we even start, but like, how, how did you realize that maybe drinking or going into a life of sobriety was kind of your next step? Like where, what did that look like for you and how did that start? Because I know it's been 10 years, right? Yes. Actually more, I think. But um, what's kind of cool is when you stop counting. Yeah. Because does it matter? Does it not matter? Like you are who you are today, right? Um, I think for me, it's really... So from the very beginning of you know, drinking the very first drink, probably. I can't remember my first drink. It's not... I don't have the best memory anyway. I hate my friends who remember everything. They're the ones I don't, I don't, there are many things I do not want people to remember. And drinking is a big part of that. You know, when you act out the way that I did for so many years, it's like there's embarrassment and shame that comes with a lot of those memories or let's just say lack of memories. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you do, when you uh, reach a level blackout drinking, which I did a lot, um, But I would say, you know, I had my first sips of alcohol when I was, I think, a a sophomore in high school. I mean, I wasn't like drinking in sixth grade. It took me a while to get there. But um, we used to take hard alcohol out of our parents' liquor cabinets and just put them in little like Tupperware containers and drink, right? And it tasted horrible. It was disgusting. It was not about the taste. It was about what it, how it made us feel. Mm-hmm. And us, me, let's just say me, okay? Because I can't speak for any of my friends. Um, but we just partied. I, I, like, I loved to party. And being someone who was type A and put 
all of my efforts into the black line at the bottom of the pool or getting straight A's and acing my ACT test and all that, like, um, which I didn't ace by the way, but you know, (laughs) you're putting your, your efforts into things that require a very uh, big focus. So I needed an outlet and I didn't realize I needed an outlet and the outlet that spoke to me that allowed me to free up in certain ways was drinking. And I never really got into other drugs. It wasn't like a huge gateway to me to other drugs. I never, I never tried hardcore drugs. I wouldn't have even known where to get hardcore drugs. So for me, it was all about alcohol. It was drinking. And, um, you know, it, I knew, of course, like, you know, there's a problem. You just know when you're throwing up, when you can't remember in the the next morning, you know, you know, there's a problem even as like a 18 year old, but if everyone else is doing it, even if they're doing it at a lesser level, you, you're able to justify your behavior. And so you mentioned like partying in college. It was like justified because everybody partied in college and everybody experienced, you know, times when they might not remember or things they did that were stupid, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's when you continue the behavior after college, when you're out in like the real world and you find yourself, you know, getting drunk to the point you can't remember or being a jerk or whatever it is that comes out in you that through that one experience, um, that's when I think the real light bulbs start going off. So when you ask like, when did I know it was a problem? Well, the first time I quit drinking, I was like 22 or 23 years old. Hmm. And I quit for... And you mentioned before this interview that you experimented with like quitting, which is such a funny way to say it because you know if you quit once, you know there's a problem. So to go back to it, it just means that you're not... Something inside of you isn't ready to quit yet. You've got more damage to do, Right. So the first time I quit, I was in my early 20s and it was probably for a few months. And then I started again, all the behaviors would come out, whatever. The second time I quit was right after I started skirt sports. I didn't drink for a year. Um, It was just bad incidents would crop up and um, I knew it was hurting my marriage and all kinds of stuff. And that didn't take because I remember saying, I'll just have a glass of wine at Thanksgiving a year later. And it's fine. It was fine for me until I got to a point where um, things outside of my control would crop up and I would act out. And it usually had to do with, at that point, my marriage. So when I was mad at Tim or felt like he was closing me off, I would move the other direction by like partying and letting loose. And um, the third time that I quit, I quit for good. It's been done. I quit in 2000. I think it was early 2007 might have been the end of it. So it's been a while. Yeah. So when like, that's just sort of my little mini on the surface history with, you know, the way I used to drink. Um, 
I don't know if there was, for me, there was one major like crack open incident. And it really came when I had decided that I wasn't happy in my marriage and we were going to have to end our marriage. It was over. It was time. I had tried to already seek happiness elsewhere. Like I was just moving on. Right. And, uh, Tim fought really hard to tell me how important our marriage was and how beautiful it could still be that we both had a lot of work to do, not just him. Cause I like to point the finger at him. And one of the things he pointed out was that drinking was probably not helping our marriage. So that was when I finally stopped for good because I just decided that if I was going to give our marriage a real go, I had to, I didn't want to look back years later and be like, well, I didn't stop this one thing that maybe could have, I don't know, helped us reach a new level. You know, you don't want to look back and regret not doing everything you could. I guess that's my competitive side too, right? Well, how hard will it be to give up drinking? I don't know, but let's try it. Yeah. So I just stopped and never, I didn't take another sip. I missed it a little, but the most, the biggest thing you miss, I think is, um, I don't know if it's your identity. It's not that you miss it. It's that you have to redefine yourself from being like a party girl, someone who's a drinker. Like I took, strangely took pride in that identity. Weird. I know. No, I totally relate. (laughs) I did that. Yeah. So tell me like you, you relate to that too. So you had the similar experience of like, you were identifying yourself as someone who had fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was what it was. Drinking, drinking and fun went hand in hand for me. If I was drinking, I was even more fun. And one of my biggest fears when I stopped was that I wouldn't be fun anymore. And that's such bullshit. You know, it's such weird self-talk. It's the most bizarre thing because I am super fun still. And everybody would probably agree to that. I just don't stay out till 2 a.m. and black out and not remember what I did the day before. So what's really nice when you finally give up something like alcohol or other coping mechanisms you have is that you wake up clear-headed. How great is that? And you wake up knowing that any decision you made the day before was under your own control. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And we're, our stories are, are similar in how we've identified, our, like how alcohol kind of played a role in life. Like I, this is something I haven't talked really openly about yet to my audience. Um, but oh, here we go. This podcast. Seems Bring it on. <laughs> this is it. I know. Um, so I, I was very similar. I, I drank a little bit in high school and it was, again, I think it was like the way it made me feel was kind of that relief, you know, um, never really big parties, never experienced with like, or experimented with like hard drugs or anything like that. Right. And then college, I identified as the party girl. I was fun stuff when I drank, like people said that, you know, and it was my way of just not dealing with things. And I would just drink till I blacked out pretty much every time, you know, you would, I would do pretty stupid things, but as in in college, you were like, it's college. Everyone else is doing it. And then I was, after I graduated, moved to Colorado and didn't know anybody. 
I had my first big girl job and it was really hard. I struggled a lot. Um, I was alone. It was a very like remote type work job. And I was slowly drinking a bottle of wine every night by myself. And I think that, and then I went through a really bad breakup and that was probably my rock bottom with alcohol made some very dumb choices with men and just other people like was not proud of that person. Um, and then when I met my current boyfriend, we both, I think were in a place where we were like, it just needs to stop. And so I did experiment with a few months and then moved to park city and was like, Oh, why not? Everyone else I can have a beer. But then it turned into the same thing. Like you would have a couple and then it would turn into blacking out. And then you'd wake up the next day and you're like, fuck, like did it again. And so I've been sober since November and you missed it a little bit, like you said, but I think it's just the identity piece. I'm going to be awkward. You know, kudos, freaking awesome. I mean, I'm looking at you. Not everybody is, but we're, we're staring at each other on our video call. Um, you look young. How old are you? I'm 27. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I remember I was 22 right after college. I went on a cross-country road trip hmm. randomly, just went off in my car. I needed to explore the world. And I went for three months. And I remember meeting this guy. I don't know who he was now. Like I wouldn't, he probably would never find me again in the world. But you know, people leave their mark on you. Yeah. And he was young. He was probably in his 20s. And I remember he told me he was uh, like an alcoholic or he had stopped drinking. And I said, I think I might need to stop too. And he said, I'm not sure you're there yet. And I, you know, I, that's how I recall the conversation. Like you come to it when you're ready, mm. you know, you can know it from the beginning. You can know you have a problem. People can tell you they're concerned, whatever it is, but until you're absolutely ready. So like you're experimenting phase you weren't ready to quit at that time because you were kind of drawn back in and you had to go through a phase where you could say to yourself, oh, I think I can handle just a drink. I can handle one drink a night. But when it's that mindset that any addict has, just one, I'll be fine. But it's whatever situation pushes you to two, then three, then four, then suddenly it's the next morning and you're like, what did I do yesterday? Shit. Yep you know, I'm back here again. And it's that feeling that you don't like and that you're not proud of. And especially when you don't know what you did the day before. I mean, blackout drinking is like freaking terrifying. I mean, you are a functioning human being to anybody else out there. Some people may not even know you're drunk if you're not stumbling. Um, And you don't remember any of it. Think about the things you may have done that you still will never remember. And like, part of me says, thank God, Mm. you know, because I don't necessarily want to go back there and remember all that stuff. Right. And, and I, and I've thought about this too. Is it a respect thing? Did I not respect myself or Mm. was it a self-esteem thing? Like I've always been a really confident person and insecure at times, of course, especially in formative years. And, you know, age helps a lot with security and, and acceptance a ton. I mean, 
and life experience helps. So I'm not sure if that's why I pushed over the edge or if it was like a chemical thing. You know, my whole family tree has alcoholism. It's just part of many people's families, right? Yeah. So I'm not sure why I got drawn there and why that became like my crutch or coping mechanism, right? Or my way to let loose. Yeah. I've been exploring that too, because a lot of my behaviors in life have been from like a numbing standpoint to not feel the things I was trying to avoid. Hmm. And so I'm wondering if that's a similar piece, you know? It's funny because I don't think when I was 16, it was, Mm. but you know, as you get, that was more like, I got to try this thing. You know, people told me I'd be at higher risk because there's alcoholism in my family. So there was a part of me that was like, I'll never drink. And then it was like, now I have to see what that means. Mm -hmm. I either have to prove them wrong or I'm going to go down the the rabbit hole, which I end up doing, right? And isn't that an interesting thing? If people tell you like, yeah, you're probably going to be more prone to this or that, then you're more likely to want to try it. Like, how could you not? Yeah. It's, 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 ah, that's interesting because I'm also exploring the world of food and how we place restrictions on food. And I think if there's that mindset of, well, you can't have that, then it's like, I need to have it. Yes. It's the need. That word need becomes, becomes more important than it should be. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, so I agree with you. You know, there there was this need to see how far I could push. Yeah. And when we talk about identities too, I mean, you opened up about it. You were fun stuff, mm. right? I was fun Nicole. And then you're like, I can drink you under the table. It's like yes. the dumbest thing in the world. You're like, I'm sitting here with like 200 pound football players. Of course, you're not going to drink anyone under the table. And why should you want to? You know, but... Yeah. It's competitive nature. It's letting loose. It's seeing how far you can push yourself. Um, but when it becomes really self-destructive, that's, that's your problem, you know? Yeah. And I, I say same thing. I remember sitting at the bar being like, give me four shots of whiskey and I'm going to drink out. Like, I mean, I could out drink a lot of the guys. And I'm wondering now, like thinking about that, if it was kind of that same need to prove like the competitive nature where you're like, I want them to see me as value. And, and for some reason, out drinking them was like, they're going to see me as like, maybe it's like my ego or something was trying to drive the bus there. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what it is. And maybe it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Maybe it does for, you know, grow, self-growth and development going forward. Maybe it matters to try to figure that out. Um, when I look back, I feel like, you know, we're all like vibrating energy fields, right? Mm -hmm. And I would feel this vibration that would hit at time to time of energy that just needed to like come out and explode and get out there in the world. And I didn't know how to let it out. Mm -hmm. And um, I used alcohol to let it out. And now I I think I still have that that high vibration vibrating energy field about me, but I don't, it doesn't come in waves. It, I maintain it better. 
you know, but do you get that? Do you, do you, do you understand that feeling of like this ball? That's like, Oh my God, I just got it. I just got to get this thing out and like show it to the world. And it would just come in waves and it would, those waves would be these waves of like drinking binges, basically party binges. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. So how do you, what do you think that, you know, you say you, you kind of changed that to now it's not through drinking. How do you, how do you express that now? Like, where does that come? You know, I, I think, um, when you, okay. So for me, I quit drinking yep. one day to the next, just yep. never had another drink. Um, I will tell you kombucha doesn't sit well with me. It makes me feel buzzed and it actually is a horrible feeling. I don't like it. And there's alcohol in it. Yep. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I know. I do sometimes drink non-alcoholic beer. I feel nothing from it. My biggest thing that I'm bummed about with stopping drinking is that alcohol got really good, I think. <laughs> like the microbrew industry, like we, it was barely tapped into 11 years ago, you know, and wine and all this, like there's so many interesting spirits out there. So I'll never be able to have those, but um, that's okay because there are a lot of other amazing things to have, right? Yep. And that's kind of like your point being, how do you express that or let that energy out? I, you know, when I f- first quit, it was sort of like a dampening across the board, but I was working on my marriage, which had hit like a very turbulent patch. So it was a very sort of somber time, somber, sober time, right? To, and that could be part of why people don't like that word. You know, the word sober is just, it alienates people, but somber is not too far off of sober. And maybe that's what people think, you know, (laughs) when you're sober, you're boring Um, and kind of, you know, dull and, and sad, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a big heavy weight. Um, So as far as letting the energy out now, I've just found other ways to do it, but it doesn't bubble up in the same way. Yeah. It's part of it might be that I was, re- I was working so hard on other things that I was repressing the part, the energy field that needed to come out the fun side or whatever it was. And now I, I think it's, I'm more even it's more infused in everything I do. So it doesn't bubble up like it used to. But that could also be age, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> Maybe. Well, and I... this. So this is my thought process too. And, and it's... So the thing that I realized I was doing and the thing that alcohol kind of... I was using alcohol as a numbing mechanism and so that I didn't have to deal with the problem I was dealing with. And the problem I was dealing with was my internal worth and my self-worth. And it was like... I was just suppressing and suppressing and suppressing because I was so afraid of feelings. And so I was using a lot of different things, you know, when I heal for a long time, it was food and exercise. And then I started healing that relationship and then it turned to alcohol really badly. And then, and then it was like Netflix, you know, like these different things in my life that I would turn to, to just not deal. And so when I decided to give up alcohol, it really freed up a lot of space for me to be able to like go internally and work on the things that I was suppressing. <laughs> totally. And that was a really, cause then, then we go back to the identity piece, you know? Um, 
I had to figure out who I was without those things that I was identifying with because I was a, a deeper person than that. And what was I afraid of? What was I using those things for? And that's kind of been the place I've been exploring recently. You know, it's, it, okay. Something that's coming to mind is this idea of addiction. Yeah. Right. And addictive personalities. Yeah. And that is something we may share, which is this need to throw ourselves all in. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm not drinking alcohol anymore, but I drink a lot of coffee. Like <laughs> I still work out a lot. I, um, I dive into my work big time, you know, can you ever change this concept of being an addictive personality? Is that an okay thing to be? Mm-hmm. A lot of high performers in the world are because you have to give so much to become the best at what you do, right? Or do we need to give up the idea of becoming the best and relax, lay low? I know people who just let life happen to them. I'm not a person who lets life happen to me though. I go out and I pound stuff down because I'm excited about it. I want to change things or I want to make the world better. I want to help people, you know? So, you know, to, I guess the discussion about like what comes next, it's, it's ongoing. It never ends. It's just, you know, accepting who you are, accepting the shit you did, which good, bad, or ugly with whatever emotions are tied to it, accepting it, and then realizing that you are not alone. So no matter what you did in the past that you may feel ashamed about, embarrassed about, sad about, proud of, whatever, someone else out there is sharing those same feelings and has trumped you. (laughs) You are not alone. You have not done the worst thing in the world or the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we are here together. That's, that's how I take a little bit of comfort sometimes mm-hmm. in being able to move myself forward and comfort in the fact that, you know, we don't have to feel like we can't share our, the, the, our experiences. And the more you share the more you realize how much compassion, love, and acceptance is out there in the world, the more you share. When you hold it in, you feel very alone. But as soon as you share, you realize how many other people embrace you and appreciate you for being real. That resonates with me so much because <laughs> that that's my story. Like I held it in for so long. And then when you realize like, oh, it's okay. And I mean, we've been taught that. You know, we've been taught it's not okay to feel the the bad emotions. I'm using air quotes, bad emotions. It's only okay to show the good emotions. And as soon as we can move past that, like you said, there's so much love and compassion and you're not alone. And that's such a beautiful human thing that connects all of us. And like, how wonderful is that? Oh, that's it. I mean, that's the core. Yeah. For me. Yeah. And I, you have to have self-compassion to be able to, to dig through the dark stuff so that you can move on. Like you, you have to. <laughs> Absolutely. You do. And that's the hardest thing for a lot of people mm-hmm. is to forgive themselves, to love themselves, 
you know, I live in a world with skirt sports where it's a lot about body. Yeah. You know, not loving your body. But when you really dig down with people into what's going on, it really usually doesn't have much to do with their body. No. Other things that they're suppressing or dealing with. And I mean, there's everyone's dealing with something, you know. That's the other thing to remember. Compassion is super important for so many reasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's why I'm doing my work is it isn't, it's never about the food. It's never about the body. It's, it's never about the exercise. It's always something more. It's mm-hmm. something. And that's, and that's, I think going back to your point where we're talking about this addictive behavior and patterns and like personality types, I think that there's, these needs that we need to have met as humans. And there's the negative, like they think there's negative ways to meet those needs. And then there's positive ways to meet those needs. And so if we're, if we're like, I'm the same way. Like, I don't like to let life just happen. I like to go for things. And I think if we're doing it out of love for ourselves, that's when it's okay. If you're trying to prove yourself in some way, because you don't think you're worthy and you need that external validation, I think that's when it gets into the hairy situation. That's right. You're right on external validation. Boom. Sucks. Yeah. We shouldn't be striving for it. (laughs) But then there are things like awards banquets and ribbons and medals and things you can earn and win. And that's often external, but without those carrots, like what are we going for? Yeah. (laughs) I think if we can prove it within then those things are just extra bonuses. Well, and when you take it to like the scale, that's where it gets really dangerous. Yeah. I'm so grateful that I do not have body issues at this point in my life. And I, it breaks my heart when I ask women what their goals are and they give me a number on a scale Yeah, because I, I don't understand how that, is going to either be a long-term sustainable goal because the only thing we know is that everything's always changing, yeah. right? And it's such a hard emotional struggle. You know, yeah. when you tell yourself you need to weigh a certain weight, it's just, it, it's not, I don't know why, but very few people I know have been successful with that kind of mindset with, you know, with their own bodies, Achieving a goal weight is not necessarily going to bring you happiness. No, it's never about that. Mm-mm. It's it's what we think we should be. Absolutely. And where is that coming from? Right, right. Is that coming from outside influences? Mm-hmm. Most of the time. Yep. Ooh, do you don't get me wrong. I mean, I do believe like there are people who have serious health issues that due to their weight and they need to lose weight because they're not healthy. You know, they, they're in, have a higher mortality rate, whatever. So that I think is legit. It's just when you actually put some kind of specific number down that scares me. (laughs) It's like, get healthy you know, get your numbers in the right place. And I'm talking about like your blood work, your cholesterol, you know, your blood pressure, all that stuff that comes from stress or bad habits, right? But stop thinking about something specific. And I think if we go all the way back to alcohol, that's something a lot of people do when they're trying to control their drinking is they say, I'm going to have one drink. Well, 
then if you have two, you feel like you failed. So you may as well have five. Ah, uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, guess what? I blew it. Let's just go all out tonight. Who cares about what tomorrow is going to bring, right? I'm going to miss all my classes. I'm going to fail my, miss a test. I'm going to have to make up some lie to the professor. Who knows, right? Yep. It's like, it just all goes to hell. And that's when I think maybe the signs of like true addiction come in. Mm. When you really can't control yourself, I think there, I'm not an expert on addiction. I only know my own personal experience and I never got treatment, which I'm actually glad I didn't because I will tell you on record here that if you do get treatment, I'm, I think it's awesome if you need it and you should do it. Um, but your insurance companies will forever ask you about that and you'll have higher rates. Did you know that? Interesting. No. Yeah, and life insurance too. So uh, if you do get treated, you will pay more. But you should get treated if that's what you need to move forward. But if you go get therapy, I think that's different because you don't have to declare you know, that you were treated for alcohol abuse or addiction. Isn't that interesting? That makes me mad. <laughs> I know. It pisses me off too. Because yeah. then there's then the then it goes into getting a label attached to you. Yeah, that's and true. You're, you're like, true. I'm just trying to do what's best for me and now you're gonna punish me for it. I mean, I right. feel that happens a lot in other ways too, but that makes me mad. Yeah, it's true. Um so I don't even know where we were, but uh it's all good stuff here. It's all about like self-discovery in the end. Yeah. Well, and, and then you talked about like the, we all have issues and the sooner that we embrace them, the sooner that we can be walk this world as our true selves. I butchered that. We can be free to walk this world as our true selves. And so can you talk about that a little bit more and what you mean by that? Will you repeat my quote? (laughs) (laughs) I just said So you say, we all have issues. The sooner we can embrace and accept them, the sooner we can be free to walk this world as our true selves. If you can't be vulnerable and open, you will constantly be trying to hide things. And when you're hiding things, you're wearing masks. You know, you are not being the person you can be to let other people into your life. I mean, it's just that simple. You'll never have true, open, honest relationships because you're not having one with yourself. You have to start with yourself. I don't think I had true, open, honest relationships for so many years, you know? And I've been married now for 21 years and only half of that have I been free and clear of alcohol. And uh, so Tim and I actually had to rediscover each other. And he's free and clear of like uh, exercise addiction, you know? And so to come to be who you are and then sit across from each other and say, do we still like each other? Now we're like naked. This is like scary stuff for people to put yourself out there. So I think that, I think that kind of sums up what I mean by that quote. You've got to be able to just be yourself. When you can totally be yourself, it is the most liberating feeling in the world. Yeah. 
And sometimes, you know, we form these identities and then we feel that we need to back up those identities. But think about if you could just move tomorrow to a new place where no one knew you, who would you want to be? Mm. And then be that person. And some, if you could just turn that page today, where you live with the community you're in and the friends you have, you may not have some of the same friends moving forward. Cause that, Oh, that definitely happens. You know, when you give up addictions, you have to find new connections. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I just, I think nudity is important in this yeah. sense, right? <laughs> and not when you're out drinking and blacking out. Yeah. Not as cool then. How are you able to, because I know this, I mean, I'm still working on this. You know, what, what did the process look like for you to come to your true self and let go of the party identity? And like, what do you say to people now when, okay, we'll ask that question later. Let's start there. <laughs> um, I think I know where you're going with this too, but um, the process for me was I basically alienated a bunch of friends who loved me and I was too connected to them through my drinking and too embarrassed about like things I'd done while with them that I shut them off and haven't really regained some of those friendships ever again. Um, But you know, I think in the end, they understand. It's just been a long time now. So we, we can all have like greater awareness about what happened. Um, and it was about also like slowly but surely telling people around you. That's like, it's like when you get pregnant and you're like, I'm pregnant, but this is not necessarily like a happy conversation. You're like, I've quit drinking. No, you're, you know, it's more like, do you declare it? Do you say it out loud? Do you put it on social media? I mean, that social media wasn't what it is today when I quit. So that wasn't like a place to make a statement. Um, if you're famous, you actually have to like make a freaking statement. Can you imagine that mm-hmm. going into rehab and everybody knows? So for me, it was just like going out sometimes with the same people I, I used to party with and ordering water or something other than alcohol and them either asking or not asking. Yeah. And you sort of deal with those questions as you go. And what I realized pretty quickly was that most people, people didn't really notice or care. It was only the people who really were tied up in my own identity. And I think a lot of times, you know, the word sober, as we've talked about, it alienates some people. It makes people uncomfortable. It's a, it's a strong word for yeah. sure. But just the fact that you don't drink can often make people uncomfortable if they do. Yeah. And I think that can come from a couple places. Um, the first place is that they, they don't know if they should, how they should be around you, if they should not drink in, with you because they're afraid that if they drink in front of you, it will make you want to drink. So that's kind of like a, that's a nice place for them to be, right? They care about you. But the people who it makes uncomfortable um, on the other side are people who maybe are thinking they might also have a problem or that they push it too hard and it's it's like a mirror, right? They're looking at you, but it's kind of pointing back at themselves and that's making them uncomfortable because maybe in their heart they know, you know, I actually drink like 
three glasses of wine a night and I really should only have two. And so is she looking at me weird and they're wondering, am I judging them? Right. Mm. And I'm sitting here wondering if they're judging me. It's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. Like that's so, life. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And, and I mean, when you can be like totally yourself and just accept yourself and be naked, then the judgment goes away. And when it goes away for yourself, I mean, it's just obvious that you're not judging other people. You know, you will know when you've reached that point when people come to you and they just feel your energy and they know they can tell you anything mm. and that you won't judge them. And that letting out secrets or things that are embarrassing help lighten the load for people. Yeah. And so when you get to that point yourself, it, um, I think it's, it just other people feel it. Mm. There's no way around it. I love that. <laughs> I've noticed that. I mean, when you have a public platform like this and you're kind of always talking about your insecurities, it is just natural conversation, which I think throws people off at first. But I have noticed it just, you know, especially around my drinking where I'm like, yeah, I just don't drink, you know, and there's, there's reasons for it and maybe we'll go into it. But when they see my confidence with it and they know that like, it's just, it's just, it is what it is. Then they're like, oh, Okay okay, that's cool. And then to kind of go back a little bit where if those people are judging you and you feel weird around them, or maybe, maybe they're not who you need to be around. Right. Sometimes that's hard, but like, that's, I mean, that's, you want to be surrounded by people who bring you up, not bring you down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting. Um, Sorry. I, uh, I was thinking about how people will literally be so bold as to ask, right? Yeah. Why aren't you drinking? So, and this happened a lot early because that's who I was. I always find it interesting and I'm honest with them now, but, um, but back in the day, I mean, and often still the only reasons, right? There are many reasons that people don't drink, but the big reasons would be you're pregnant you are in hardcore training athletically. So for someone like me or you who's an athlete, right? You'd be like, well, I'm not drinking because I'm training for a big event, yep. right? Or you have a problem with alcohol. Yeah. You're an alcoholic or you've abused alcohol, so you've quit. Like there are some other reasons, like you don't like it or I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But those would be like the three main reasons. And I wasn't pregnant and I was no longer training for a big thing. So when people would ask me at first, I didn't quite know what to say. Mm. I probably used some of those excuses, not that I was pregnant, but like I'm training or whatever. Um, But now a friend of mine actually, here's the other interesting thing. Some like when you do start to gain a little bit of a platform, like you said, and you become someone people might mention or talk about sometimes about various things you do. People will ask my friends, why doesn't Nicole drink? They're not even asking me. They're asking my friends. It's hilarious. Um, Now I'm more open about it. So I think people know, but um, one of my friends one time summed it up as, you know, I think she was a little too good at it. (laughs) And so that's what I tell people. I'm like, you know, I was really going after the gold I was way too good at it, um, you know, and it just yeah. blew up. It's over. 
But uh, it, it puts people a little more at ease when you can kind of laugh about it and be like, yeah, I, I used to drink too much. I was very good at it. <laughs> yeah. or It in, wasn't a positive thing. Yeah. Or, you know, and I, I used to make, like, I used to make excuses also, right? And I think something I've learned is like to stop apologizing for my choices, unless they like physically hurt somebody. Right. But if like, I'm taking up my own space and like, this is just my decision, kind of like give it like not smoking. I just, it's not good for me. Right. It's not good for me. And that's, it is what it is. Like, it doesn't have to mean anything that doesn't have to mean I'm a bad person. Like nothing. Like I, it just wasn't good for me. And now I kind of own that. And it's, just trying to change like, and, and sober, like, I don't think you have to reach like any kind of rock bottom or like any kind of crazy thing to just realize that alcohol is just not good for you in your life. Like sober doesn't have to mean anything horrible. It just can mean it's not good for you right now. Yep. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, part of it is just, we're all on a journey, Yeah. right? And our lives go all kinds of different ways. And by the time you reach a certain age, you can look back and actually have enough life experiences that have built in a certain way to decide, is this who I want to be? Or do I want to change who I want to be? We can do that any day of our lives in any minute. It's just that when you're really young, I think you still need to experience more and you need to see what's out there in the world. I think today's younger people are more aware than I was when I was young. Part of it is the ability to reach people in different places through social media that we didn't have, right? So you're seeing other people experience in life in different ways, not just the people on your block or in your school. Yeah. Um, but I can easily look back and like think about and sum up my life in decades. It's like, it's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a blast though. When you look back on it, you have, you cannot do anything except embrace where you've been and then have wide open arms to where you might go. Mm. I love that. Totally agree. And if you can start living like that, I think that the opportunities are endless for you, but yeah, I feel like we could talk about this all day. (laughs) It's really refreshing. I, I haven't had many conversations like this and it feels like you said, once you start sharing, you just feel a little bit less alone and more connected. And, um, Absolutely. I just, I'm so and, grateful. <laughs> and you know, the worst things that you've done, well, guess what? You're still here. Yeah. You made it through it. You're going to be a better person for it. The minute you can accept it. Absolutely. And then just, yeah, the future is endless for you at that point because you're open. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Nicole. (laughs) So self-help talk with Nicole and Steph, 101. (laughs) Join us. (laughs) It was perfect. Do you have anything else you want to say to everybody before we end our time today? Um, I would say that... I've already said it and we've repeated it a few times. Just remember, you are not alone out there. You know, this world is full of beautiful, incredible people. And all you need to do is be open yourself. And those people will open themselves up to you. I don't think that we go anywhere alone. 
and I wouldn't want to. So be open, be forgiving, love yourself. If something's not right with what you're doing, if it doesn't align with who you want to be, remember, close your eyes, think about moving to a different place and being exactly who you want to be. And if you're not being that person, you can change that. You can change that. And the biggest hurdle that people have is what other people will think. So as soon as you can let go of all of that and just be who you want to be and leave a mark you want to leave in this world, you will, you will make the world a better place and you'll be happier. That sums up our entire conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I, awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Oh, ab- yes. Okay. So I actually, you can find me on skirt sports all day on the social media and whatever. Um, but I do have a website, nicoledeboom.com. And on that website, I host a podcast too called Run This World with Nicole DeBoom. Um, I actually did a really cool talk about my journey with alcohol. Did you see it? It's on... Um, it's on YouTube, but really it's on Facebook. It's where it's gotten its traction. We can put a link to it if you want. I'd love to. Um, that was like a 10-minute talk and uh, very emotional for me and powerful if this topic interests you. Um, I, I had a thought on what I wanted to say. I mean, I, I prepared for the speech, but I did the speech, cried a couple times, and uh, sat down afterward. And, and in my head, I was like, what did I just say? I have no idea what I said. Did I say what I wanted to say? And it took me a really long time to watch it. And I actually watched that video backwards in like two minute snippets. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It just, it, I was like sh- feeling very raw. So what I say to you is that when you are ready to put these things out there in the world, you don't need to go stand up on a stage and do like a TED style talk. But the more that you can do that, the more free you will become. Yeah. So boom, <laughs> nicoledeboom.com podcast, sobriety talk, you name it. I will make sure all of that's linked up so everyone can find you because you're amazing and I love what you're doing. And I'm just, I'm very grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much for being open and talking about it and helping us change what all of this has to mean. And Yeah. I'm just grateful. (laughs) Well, we're soul sisters. So keep it up. Yep. Thank you. All right. Thanks everyone for being here and we will all chat soon. Bye. Thank you so, so much for listening and for being here with me. If you want more resources, pop on over to www.stephanie-dankelson.com. And until next time, stay radiant.